welcome back to both the talks i'm your host rafael today we have a very special guest he's my friend he's a stanford graduate and an economics professor welcome troy smith wow. thanks rafael <laughs> how are you doing troy i'm doing pretty great how are you doing i'm doing well it's been weeks since i've uploaded a podcast mainly because you know new responsibilities and stuff but hopefully i can get on a better schedule you've been busy with your new dog huh that's right i got i got a new little beagle he's only 12 weeks old and i've been trying to take care of him so i haven't had a lot of time to make podcasts yeah well let's get into today's topic troy all right so i i mentioned it to you before but today first let me tell you where i got this idea from Today, I want to talk about communism, socialism, and capitalism. So hopefully you, being an economics professor, can explain to us the differences, like hopefully in a, in a simple way that's not too confusing. But I've been going through Instagram and stuff, and I've been seeing a bunch of posts lately with the protests and everything, and people have been posting to be that they hate capitalism, that they prefer socialism. Some people even say communism, but everyone knows communism is bad at least what we think but i don't really know what socialism is i'm not like i've heard about it i know you've tried to explain it to me a couple times and i've just it's hard for me to understand i know what capitalism is i think but i'm not really sure so maybe you could start off by explaining to us the differences between communism socialism Sure. So part of the confusion is that different people have different definitions in mind when they talk about these things, right? So like your friends on Instagram, what you should probably do is ask them what they mean when they say that they hate capitalism uh, or when they say that they hate socialism. So a lot of times when they say they like hate capitalism, what they probably mean is like, I hate inequality, right? Um, And they're equating capitalism to, to things being unequal in society. Right. So I think that's the first thing is just like ask people what they mean by those terms when they're like using them, because I think most people probably don't have a great understanding or they're using kind of their own definitions when they talk about those things. Yeah. So what exactly, let's say, what is capitalism to be exact or at least in your Yeah. So like if you look in the dictionary, it's all about who owns the means of production and then how people are compensated for like the work that they do, right? So do you know like what it, do you know what means of production means? Uh, I assume like like factory work, like who things being yeah, made. that's exactly right. So like farms, factories, like things being produced in society, right? So in capitalism, individuals or corporations own the means of production, so it's privately owned, and. It, so one person owns, let's say, a factory or, or a, a group of people or a corporation, um, but it's not owned by the government or it's not owned by like all people in common, right? Yeah. So capitalism would mean, let's say, you want to open up a farm or like a factory and you start a business. So you, you alone or your corporation yep. owns what you that's right so you own what you produce and then you can sell what you produce and then you keep the profits of of whatever you produce yeah i can kind of see how that can sometimes lead to inequality someone 
can produce more than someone else and it kind of makes a gap yeah exactly and and part of it is because people have different abilities right so some people are good at one thing some people are good at other things but if you happen to be good at and like something that other people in society value then you can get lots of rewards for that right whereas if you really like something that people don't value so much and then maybe you don't get as much compensation for that thing yeah, so you have to kind of hit the target of what people want. Yeah. Well, if if you're interested in, in making money, right? Like if if that's not your primary goal and then it matters less. Yeah, so like if your passion is doing something that no one cares about or likes, then it's not really going to... Right. You can be a professional basket weaver and weave hundreds and hundreds of baskets and you're probably not going to make a ton of money on that. Yeah, even if it's something yeah. you really enjoy. Unless your baskets are like amazing and you sell them on Etsy for, you know, $50 a basket or something, then maybe you can make a living on that, right? But it has yeah. to be something that somebody else wants. It has to be better than the competition. Yeah. So that's another feature of capitalism is usually there's competition between different producers. And so those that are most efficient or those that make things that other people want, they're going to grow bigger. And those that are less efficient, they're going to go out of business. So let's say someone wants to run up against Nike, and no one's really going to be able to beat that. But like Adidas and already big companies, they're kind of competing with each other. Yeah, I mean, not that's not always the case. So sometimes you get new companies that start up that are super popular, and then they challenge older companies that used to be dominant, right? But it, but it's it's much harder. So you, you really have to hit the target of what what the consumer wants. Yeah, that's right. And and be efficient okay. enough to to be able to produce and to make money and and all those things, right? So it can be hard because it requires a lot of work. If you're going to be successful, then you got to work really hard. Yeah, that's capitalism. <laughs> yeah. So then, what's socialism? So socialism is. A theory it's a kind of an economic system and a political theory and probably most people would say that socialism and communist communism have never been fully put into practice and so when people talk about you know how great socialism is it's it's a little theoretical so it's a little bit unfair because you're comparing something that uh, that people have been doing in the world for hundreds of years to something that's a theory that that has never been put fully into practice but the idea behind yeah, so I I kind of get what you mean by communism. Like communism was never fully true communism. It was always like taken advantage by someone. Well, so communism is the idea that all of the means of production are held collectively by everybody. There's no private property, and so everybody contributes as much as they can, and then everybody gets whatever they need out of society. Yeah. And so there's, there's not been a, a, a communist society that's, you know, at a large scale. And most of the countries that have claimed to be communists have actually really just been mostly autarkies, which means like, or authoritarian, sorry, authoritarian states. So like one group of people or one person has been in charge and, and basically directed the economy and directed all the means of production based on what they or uh, you know, the people that they listen to think should happen. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, so, so people always kind of want to take control. Yeah. It's so never, Well, so they, they always say they're doing it in the name of the people, right? So like the dictators in the former Soviet Union or in North Korea today, they say that they're acting on behalf of the people and they're doing what's best for the people because they are the ones that know best what it, what's good for everybody else. Right. But in reality, it always leads to being a tyrant taking over the, the whole country or just poverty for everyone. Yeah, well, in practice so far, that's usually what it's led to. But, but again, that's not communism. They claim to be communist, but that's authoritarianism. But so do you think it's possible that communism could pull, put it, like, be placed to work for real? I don't know. I mean, we've never seen it, so that would be maybe evidence. See, the problem there is like you have to work, but even if you don't work, you get what you need. Right. So no one really has to work because the government provides, and if people don't work, then everything just breaks down. Yeah, so it's a little bit against human nature, right? Because you, you, we humans, we respond to incentives, and... And also, we generally want more of things, right? And we're, most of us are a little bit selfish. Like, we think about ourselves or our families um, before we think about the society more broadly, right? So yeah. maybe if we had perfect people and we worked just for the joy of work, not to, to get more things or get more money, and we cared just as much about everybody else in society as we did about ourselves and our families, then maybe you could have a, a, a communist society that where everybody owned everything together and everybody worked really hard and everybody got exactly what they needed and you know so like no the more, Soviet no Union people was it just like you either work or you die or how was it that they actually gained a lot of power? The you mean the the leaders in the Soviet Union? Well wasn't the whole country like very powerful during the Cold War? So they, um, so they, they, they increased productivity a lot, but they were going from like an agricultural society to an industrial society. So they, they took this big leap that helped them to increase uh, production a lot, right? But then they were not very innovative later on. The, the hard thing about communism and socialism to some degree is it's difficult to know what to produce, right? So in a capitalist society, you know what to produce because it's what people buy. So you know that if you're producing a good car, then more people want it, and then you get more money, and so then that encourages you to produce more of that thing, right? But if there's no prices to tell you what to produce, and then how do you know how many cars you should produce next year? And so the Soviet Union, they had these big plans where the government would say, we think we need this many cars next year and we think we need this much ton and we think we need this much grain. So right? nobody but, really had a say on what they wanted. So no one, they didn't know what people wanted. Yeah. People couldn't really, people couldn't really signal through prices, through what they bought, what they wanted. And so the government was kind of guessing on what people would want or what people should get. And, and sometimes maybe they, they got that right, but a lot of times they, they did not get that right. So they might overproduce cars and there's too many cars based on what people actually want, but then they don't have enough grain. So then people go hungry. Right? And there's no incentives to, to invent new things either, right? Because the government's going to tell you what to produce and you're not going to get any additional income if you produce something new and novel and exciting. 
And so you might only have one type of, of bread in the, in the whole country because there's not incentive to produce nut bread and, you know, wheat and bread. No one's, and no one's really like trying to make new things because you're just going to use the same things over and over. Right. And maybe the government tries to encourage some kind of innovation, but again, they have an information problem because they don't really know what people want. You know, they can ask questions or do surveys, but it's really hard to figure out what people want, right? Like nobody knew they wanted an iPhone until Steve Jobs created it. And then suddenly everybody wanted it, right? It would have been hard to predict that. Yeah. Beforehand. That makes so, sense. So prices are actually super amazing. Nobody really appreciates this. Like when you go to the grocery store, you look at an apple and you're like, oh, that cost, you know, 50 cents and you don't even think about it. But prices are pretty amazing because they take the all the information in the economy about how much people want something and how much it costs to make that thing and how many producers there are producing that thing. And they summarize it all together into this one number. And then you just have to look at that number and decide whether you value it more than that or less than that to decide whether you're going to buy that. Oh, I've you, never thought about it like that. By you making that decision, like if you if you want it, and then that might increase the price, and if you don't want it, then that might decrease the price. But millions and millions of people making that decision on whether they want it or not—that's what determines the price. So it summarizes uh, tons and tons and tons of information. That's just really hard for a centrally planned economy to to have that much information to be able to set prices correctly. I've never thought about it like that because it's it's. I used to think just like how much is an apple worth that they just were like oh it's probably worth around 50 cents or if like they produced a lot of apples they'd like lower the price but i've never thought they took into consideration as well like how many people are buying it like how much is being produced like how yeah. much people actually value it yeah all those things go into a price right how many how much demand there is how much supply there is and then that's what determines what the price is but how much demand there is determined is determined by people's preferences you know, what other good products are out there you could buy, how much money people have. There's competition towards, like, the, the competition, right? And then the supply is determined by how much there is out there, how efficient the producer is. Also, the thing about the capitalists, I know we already kind of touched on this, like, there's no monopolies. It's just everything is competing. So that's always good for the consumer. Yeah, so there, I mean, there can be monopolies in a capitalist economy. Um and, and it's a little bit technical, but there's something called a natural monopoly that the more you produce, the cheaper it is to produce that thing. So those will come up in, in kind of any kind of capitalist society. But a lot of the monopolies in capitalist societies are um, are actually caused because the government by the government, like the government gives you a license to be able to produce something. And maybe you're the only one that has that license. So then you have a monopoly. What's a, you know, like an example of that? Of a licensed monopoly or like a natural monopoly? Um, first natural monopoly, but I didn't really understand that. So a, natu- so a natural yeah. monopoly means that like as you produce more and more of that thing, it actually becomes cheaper to produce it. So like the classic example is like uh, telephone lines, like landlines. So if you're AT&T and you already have this huge network of, of fiber, op- fiber optic cables throughout the whole country, then for you to connect one additional house doesn't cost very much, right? Mm-hmm. But if, you, if I'm somebody new and I'm coming in with a new uh, telecommunications company, then I would have to build out that whole network in order to connect your house to that. Yeah, so, so it's kind of harder to start from scratch when someone's already... 
right? Well, AT&T can connect you to their already existing network much, much easier than me who has to build the whole network in order to connect you. So I'm never going to be able to offer you the same price that they can to be able so to connect say, to their network, to their landline network, right? This, this all changed with cell phones, by the way, right? So there used to be a natural monopoly in, in phone communication. And then yeah, inno- innovation, basically, because there are so much profits in that sector, then there was innovation to get around that. And so now landlines don't really matter as much anymore, right? Because I was thinking, like, there's new phone companies that I've seen, like Cricket and stuff like that, that I know were a thing, like, a while back. And those just, they came up because of cell phones, right? Right. So it's still there's still a little bit of a natural monopoly aspect to that because they have to have cell towers, right? But they can lease or rent cell, cell towers from other companies now. Oh, so there's A towards the other companies as well. Yeah. So you don't remember this, but back in the day when everybody had landlines, then if you wanted to call the next city over, it would be long distance. So you pay really high prices if you wanted to call anywhere outside of your immediate city, right? And so those companies made lots of money, but then there's incentives for people to innovate to get around that. And so now nobody even thinks about long distance anymore. You can call anywhere in the world basically for free now. Right. Yeah, I remember, I still remember when I was younger and my mom wanted to talk to her, my grandma in Mexico, she, I needed, oh, she went to go buy this like little card yep. at, the, at the gas station or something. And with those, like the numbers that they gave her on there, she could call. Yeah. So a lot of times when there are monopolies and then that gives people an incentive to create innovations to get around those monopolies, right? Because people that have monopolies are making lots of money. You see that and then you say, I want to make lots of money. So let me figure out a way to innovate so that I can take that market. And that's always good because that just keeps innovation and getting further in technology and getting better and better. Right. So it's good for consumers. It's good for you if you're the innovator. It's bad for those that have the monopoly because then they have to face competition again. Right. But yeah, but I mean, as a, but it's good, it, good for it's society. Good, yeah, it's good for society overall unless you're that one company that's getting challenged. Right. But then that also so you see makes that, the other company lower its prices and it's good for the consumer. Right. It's good for society. But you can see, so right now with like t- cable companies um, are monopolies, at least in local areas. So in my, at my apartment, I can only get Comcast. And so I have to pay a lot more than I would like to in order to get internet service or to get cable TV because Comcast is the only one that will serve me. Right. So that would be another, so that's another natural monopoly because they have the fiber optic cables in my neighborhood and other companies don't. So in order for another company to serve me, they'd have to build fiber optic cables into my neighborhood, which would cost them a lot. Whereas Comcast can just connect me to their already existing network. So that's a natural monopoly as well. Well, like a good competition towards them is like Netflix and all those streaming services that you just... So that's good competition for the cable companies, for internet providers that I still am reliant oh, on them <laughs> for, for internet, right? But there's beginning to be competition because that's a monopoly and because they make a lot of money, there's beginning to be competition in that space. So there's a couple of companies that are starting to experiment with uh, providing internet from balloons or from satellites so that they could get around this network of ground fiber optic cables that you have to have in order to get internet right uh, 
and uh, they just have satellites or balloons flying over you and you get your internet from there. Right. So it, it, I don't know that those companies are operating yet, but there's a lot of experimentation going on there because there's lots of money to be made to be able to provide internet comp- competition and internet services, but then also to be able to provide internet to places in the world that don't yet have internet. I can see how in a communist economy, it would just be like you get this line cable and there's no reason for anyone to ever improve that. Right. Well, there. If if you don't get the incentive from from your innovation, because it take to start a company, it takes a lot of money. You take on a lot of risk, and you also have to work really, really hard. So people are willing to do that because there's a lot of money to be made, and people generally like money, right? But if there's no incentives, if there's no, you're not going to get any extra money after you put in all that time, work, risk. Then why would you take that chance in the first place? Yeah. So you got to make sure or at least think that you, what you're offering is the competition or is new and then like, you know, right. so, well, right. then we went over capitalism. Uh, well, let me just recap what capitalism and communism is then. Ca- capitalism is if you want to own a business, you own it, you own the means of production. You basically own everything from top to bottom and you can have competition. Communism would just be the government owns basically the government and the people own everything. Or I guess that's just theoretically because it's never been into put into practice completely. Right. So everyone everyone gets what they need and they all work as hard as they can for the state, I guess. And they provide everything. So then I I knew and I know we were getting into socialism and we kind of jumped into communism. So lastly, what is socialism? So socialism, at least in Karl Marx and, and Frederick Engels' theory, socialism was kind of the step between capitalism and communism. So they thought that there would be capitalist societies would transition to a socialist society and then eventually they'd become a, a communist society. And a lot of times there's not a lot of differentiation between these terms, but socialism would be that the state owns the means of production, but you can still have private property. So you, you might still own your house, but all the factories, all the farms are owned by the state. And generally under socialism, you you still work according to your ability, but you would get as much as you contribute. So it's not getting whatever you need, it's getting what you put into the system to some extent. So there's still some incentives there but the government owns all the means of production. I mean, that doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound that bad, I guess, because it's, it's, you get what you make and then the government owns how, how it's produced, no? Okay, but the, I guess it's what, what, what happens with innovation, right? So like you don't own the factory Right. So do you have an incentive to work really hard or to invent new things if you're not owning those means of production in the first place? But you get, I guess what the only thing that's driving you to work is getting the money, you know, to, to support your family and stuff. If you're getting paid however much you're working. Yeah. So you, so you might get, so 
under a purely, and again, socialism and communism have never been fully practiced, but under a fully communist system, no matter how hard you work, you would still get this, everybody would kind of get the same, right? So you, let's say you go and work for eight hours a day. I go and I work for four hours and I kind of sit around, play on the internet, you know, look at Snapchat, whatever. And then at the end of the day, we'd both get paid the same because we're both getting paid what we need, no matter how hard we worked, right? So socialism, in, in theory, socialism would take care of that problem and that people get how much they work, but you still can't own the company. So are you going to take big risks in order to start something new, to invent new products? You don't really get the, the benefits from that. You might get your wage from working for the factory during the day or your wage from working on the farm. But you're so not you're never get, trying to improve. You're not going to get any of the profits from that would come out of that system. So like in the capitalist society, you would take risks and try to improve and make even more money. But in a socialist uh, economy, you would just work for your wage and that's it. Like you couldn't improve or, I mean, you wouldn't have like the means to improve you what you wouldn't want to improve. Yeah. I mean, maybe you would just because you love to solve problems or you love to contribute to the greater good, but you don't have the monetary incentive to improve the system or to start a new company or to innovate um, like to the same extent that you would in a capitalist society because you don't keep the profits of your labors, right? So is socialism just like an economic theory or is it like a form of government as well? So it's, it's both uh, political and economic theory so so there's a lot of countries now that have most countries in the world actually are mixed economies so some things are provided by the government and other things are private right so most of the time today when people are talking about socialist countries or social democracy or um, a lot of the nordic countries that that people like to point to as good examples those are still capitalist economies but they have a larger share of the economy that is provided by the government than what we would have, for instance, here in the United States. And the United States isn't also fully capitalist, right? Yeah, it's, it would also be a mixed economy, right? So there's some things that are provided by the government, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, those things are provided by the government. So those would be more on the socialist end of the spectrum. So we would also be a mixed economy. Mm, okay. And most of the debate is about how far on that spectrum you want to go. So how many things and how many industries do you want to be produced and, and managed by the government and how many things do you want to have produced and managed in the private sector? And it, it really is about the incentives. So it's, it's a, a question about uh, equality and incentives, right? So the more that you go towards uh capitalist society, then the more that people have incentives and incentives are aligned to innovate and to produce and to make new things, the more that you go towards a socialist society, then the easier it is to make things equal for, for people. Yeah. So it's kind of like, would you rather lean more towards everyone being the same or some people making better technology and stuff like that? But I know and having and socialism, it's like, everyone's equal but everyone's equally poor and like well i mean at least in the countries that we've seen practice communism 
Yeah, so that's true of communist countries. It's, it's true of places like Venezuela, North Korea, for sure. The Soviet Union, at the end of the day, uh, people were a lot poorer than, than other countries. Um, China, as long as it was, so China is no longer communist, although they claim to be communist, but they're pretty capitalist society. And once they became capitalist and they started growing much, much more quickly um, in, in about 1978, 1979. Oh, so, so I always thought they were still communists. They, they claim they're communists, but their economy is really, really capitalist. So they have... But it's not necessarily true that you're poor. So a lot of the countries in Northern Europe, they, they're fairly rich by world standards. So their median or their mean incomes, probably not as high as the United States, but they're pretty, pretty wealthy. Uh, they have pretty good health care. They have good access to um, social services. They also pay very, very high taxes. Okay. So the people are kind of paying for that. Sorry, my dog's barking again. But they're kind of paying for that. Like they pay the taxes so they can get all those things. Right. So so there's more. So there's fewer very, very rich people and fewer very, very poor people. There's more people that are in the middle, but they pay uh, high tax rates in order to achieve, in order to pay for the collective good, right? For the things that they have but even those countries have most of the means of production are still owned by individuals they're not owned by the state so the state yeah. may provide health care they provide education they provide retirement but they're not making cars in general or making so that pharmaceuticals. Why, like those countries people say that they have a uh, health care that's like i don't know if it's free or if it's really cheap and over here it's like super expensive health care Right. So it, that, that's true. So that's what a lot of people use that debate, right? It's, a, it's, it's complicated because like we talked about in a society where there are fewer private incentives, it's much, there's fewer incentives to innovate. It doesn't mean the innovation doesn't happen, but there's fewer incentives to innovate. So if you look at innovation in healthcare and, and pharmaceutical drugs and um, medical care in general, a lot of that happens in the United States because if you make a if you make a new biomedical product in the United States, then you have a chance to get very very rich, right? So th a lot of those things are produced in the United States and then they're sent to other parts of the world where you might have less opportunity to make money on those things. So, so it's true that the U.S. doesn't have like the best uh, not healthcare but like hospitals, I guess, I don't know how to say it exactly, like, the best healthcare, as in taking care of their patients and stuff, I've heard that it's not, like, the best in that field. Uh, no, I mean, it's complicated. I'd have to look at, at kind of the, the research. There's a lot of health economists that study this full-time, but my understanding is that the medical care in the United States is the best in the world. Right, but if you're if you're looking at like the average healthcare, so there might be people in the United States that don't have any healthcare, and then there's other people in the United States that can afford and you know have the best healthcare in the world, right? Like if you have a heart attack, like you probably want to be in the United States, or if you have a very complicated uh, brain problem, then you probably want to be in the United States because that's where the best technology and the best yeah, doctors and all are. Yeah, the U.S. Right? has the best cancer survival rate. Right. So, so we have a lot of innovation, which means that we have 
some of the best healthcare in the world, but not everybody has access to it, right? So in some sense, we're producing a lot of innovations for the rest of the world, and then that allows other countries to have a more equal distribution, right? Because they can take the things that we invent and then they just take them to their country. They're not doing, they're not the ones that are innovating. So we're kind of providing the new technology and the new uh, medicine and stuff, and they're kind of just distributing it out equally. Yeah, a lot of people make those arguments, right? So let's say like the U.S. would kind of turn more into those kind of those, uh, European countries that are doing that. Like, who would be, there would be no one. I mean, there would still be some people, but like the means of producing new and better technology would kind of decrease since there's no motivation to for people to start inventing and innovating. Right. So that's what a lot of people are worried about is that if the United States had a fully fully socialized medical system and then there'd be less innovation in the world in terms of healthcare overall. So that that's the worry of, of a lot of people. Um, to be honest, like the United States healthcare system now is not capitalistic. Most of it's controlled by the government already, right? And in other countries, their their healthcare is not fully socialist either, right? There's different incentives. So almost every country has some kind of a mix of private incentives and and government payments. Um, and some people would argue that the reason the United States healthcare system is messed up is because there's too much government intervention, um, not that there's like not enough government intervention. And then other people say that it's because there's too much market competition in healthcare. But that would, if it was true that there's too much competition, wouldn't the prices go down? Yeah. So the, the, and, and a lot of people will say that there is not enough competition, right? Because for a lot of prices in the healthcare system, they're actually determined by the government through Medicare and through Medicaid payments. And so the government is setting the, the price of things and, and because there's this complicated insurance system, so you don't actually see the price that you pay. So if you think about it, healthcare is really weird because you can go to the doctor's office and you get a procedure done and you have no idea what that costs, right? Yeah. And every other, because you're, you might pay a copay, but your insurance is paying for it. So in every other aspect of your life, if you're going to buy something, you know the cost of that thing, right? If you're going to go buy a new phone, if you're going to go to the grocery store and buy groceries, you know how much you're paying. But in healthcare, well, they should make it more this, public how much you're paying. Yeah, so a lot of people argue that the prices should be more transparent, right? So that if you knew how much you're paying, then you could decide whether it was worth it or not. Because right now, if I go to the doctor and he says, you need this x-ray done, I have no idea how much it's going to cost. I don't pay for it directly if I have insurance. You and so know there, I, need it. I don't even know if I need it. And so, But if the doctor says I do and I'm not really paying that much for it, then I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Whereas if I was paying more of the cost or if I knew how much it was costing, and then I might say, well, I don't really need that x-ray. And then if people right. said, I don't really need it, they would need to lower their prices more and more since people are kind of refusing to do these things that they right. really need. And healthcare in general would be less expensive, right? We'd be spending less on healthcare. That's right? kind of what I've heard of college tuition and stuff. It's like, but yeah. yeah. That they should not allow banks to give out loans and then by doing that, the colleges would need to adjust and bring down their prices. 
Yeah, so a lot of people make that argument that because the government subsidizes colleges and then that's really just a transfer to the college rather than to the student. Because you get more money from the government, but the college charges you higher tuition. And so that money from the government just goes to the college in general instead of helping you as the individual. Yeah, and then you end up paying debt for like the rest of your life. Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty complicated. I mean, that the other hard thing about college is, you know, there's a lot of people arguing for free college for all right now. Uh, but most people that go to college are people that are fairly well off already, right? And so if you're giving free college, then you're subsidizing those people that are already pretty well off. You're not really helping people at the bottom that are not likely to go to college anyway, right? Oh, because they need to help out their family working and stuff anyway so you're just kind of helping the people that are already planning on going right so think so you have some friends that probably won't go to college right even if they could go to college for free they probably wouldn't go because they just don't like school that much right yeah so if the government pays for you to go to college and then after you go to college you get an even better job and you make more money and then the government's helping you who's already pretty well off to go to college um and they're not helping right those are resources that are not going to somebody who is not going to go to college, right? So, so free college. So those resources should go more into, let's say, the school system, saying, trying to help students reach like their goal of going to college. Yeah, so that's one idea. I mean, there's lots of different ways you can use resources, but if you use resources for one thing, then you can't use them on something else, right? So if you want to help the people that are really poor, and then maybe you target something specifically that helps people that are really poor, instead of doing something that's going to help people that are already pretty well off. And most people that go to college in the United States, not everybody, of course, but a lot of people that, a lot of people that go to college in the United States are already pretty well off. Yeah. Or at least they will be when they graduate. And it's kind of a, if, if that was a thing, it would kind of just be a, it would kind of be like a cycle of, let's say I go to college for free and then, my kid can go to college for free, but I would already be doing better than how I started. And then it just kind of be getting better and better for my line of like children. Yeah. Intergenerational stuff is also, I mean, there's lots of complications with that as well. And it's an interesting topic. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to me like there's a lot of podcast potential here with you mm-hmm. and a lot of different conversations that could be had. Yeah, the economy is fascinating. Our office, you should study economics. There's always more to learn. Yeah, I find it pretty interesting. Uh, you should take an economics class. And if we do another one, I think we should talk about how stocks work. Yeah, fascinating right now. Stock market's been going up and up. How's your yeah, well, How's your Tesla right now, by the way? Uh, I think it's... Uh, I've gained $2,000 off of my Tesla stocks. Really? Yeah, it's it hit it. It's like hitting new highs all the time. Today, yeah. today it was up to like night almost nineteen hundred. Yeah, it's crazy. It just keeps going up. And I actually, and I sold five five shares before it spiked up a lot. I could have been. I could have had much more. Yeah, hard to know. In retrospect, you should have held on to those. Yeah. Uh, Oh, that's that's the game, I guess. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> to predict. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Troy. Yeah, of course. 
it's a pleasure. Uh, I pretty sure we'll have you on another time to talk about much more that there needs to be talked about. Yeah, economics is always fascinating. There's always more to learn. Yeah, yes, there is. Well, thanks so much. All right, bye. Um, follow the Bofa Talks page and um, leave a comment and a like. And if, if you guys have any topics that you would like for us to touch on, just DM the page. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Troy. Uh, see you guys later. Bye.